Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, eight games, no wins. I'm not sure there's much else to say about the state of sporting Kansas City season currently. They got beat 3-0 this weekend in San Jose on the heels of a couple bad mistakes by Robert Castellanos in a story that seems all too familiar. Tactical Corner this week is going to be focused on what we would change. We'll give each other, we'll each give three priorities we would we would have if given the keys to the Sporting Kansas City Kingdom. We'll try to be as realistic as possible given the current makeup of the squad and provide solutions we feel are viable and also believe would be functional. Matt Potter is out as the Casey Current head coach after a three-game winless start and a somewhat ambiguous references to his leadership and employment practices. This is a pretty shocking reveal this afternoon. It was recording uh, on Wednesday, and we will do our best to decipher what exactly is going on, as well as what this could mean for the current going forward. Finally, Sporting Kansas City heads to New England this weekend to face a revolution squad that is leading the East. As it was last week against San Jose, it's hard to see a way for Sporting to turn this run around, run of results around, given the opponent and locale. But we will analyze the potential opportunities and what we're looking for in that matchup. Cody, as we get into the first item in the top three this week, which is the continued inability of this club to get consistently goal dangerous with any kind of attacking patterns, how frustrating was it to see? Jamiro Montero effectively use space, peeling wide left, then release Cape Cowell to the end line, and then have San Jose have two runners running off the back of center backs, giving multiple targets for a cross. It does. It makes it look easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it's it's we we make it sound easy every week when we talk about it, and they made it look as easy as we make it sound. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's crazy that you watch replays and teams are scoring goals left and right and a lot of pretty goals and some teams are getting lucky and scoring you know trash goals but their goals nonetheless and uh this team can't even can't even get lucky right they can't even they can't even uh just by blind luck you know hit a goal in with their butt or something on a on a set piece it's uh it's pretty dire and um you know the one of the concerning things is that uh I, there are a lot of underlying numbers that don't really suggest that 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 things are going to change or that there's any reason that things should change. And so, um, it's um, there are some there are some obviously that 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 suggest that maybe that there's uh, that there's hope. But uh, I I think that uh, at the moment I think that that the team kind of is what it is, and I I don't know that the team is actually. Um, they, the team is definitely underperforming its talent, but I don't know that it's underperforming um, with regards to how well it's playing. Yeah, I, I, there's a, you know, moat around the opponent's 18 right now, for sure. And so most of their shots are coming from longer distance. When they get inside the 18-yard box, it's not functional there's not a whole lot happening when they do that and it looks like the opponent's defense is fairly well in control of the situation when they do that you know and that's the concerning part is that you never really seem to find their opponent the opponent off balance in those circumstances Mm -hmm. maybe once or twice a game but you know 
most most professional goalkeepers can handle that once or twice a game. You have yeah. to get those opportunities more often. Um, you know, Zussi had an almost banger. But, I mean, again, that's a 30-yard shot. I, yeah. I don't – it's not what this team should be aspiring to. And I don't know that they played that poorly in this match. I also found it very interesting that as soon as they – came out at halftime with a double pivot and played that four, four, one that they were playing into space much better than they had yeah. previously. Um, so, you know, we'll get to our top three, uh, our top three things that we would change when we get to tactical corner, you know, our three priorities, like if we were given, given the reins and what changes would we make? I have to believe that at least one of us is going to suggest a double pivot. I mean, on the basis, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, I know, I know what Cody, I know what Cody's thoughts are towards that philosophy. Uh, but but Tommy and Voltaire looked functional in a yeah. double pivot. Uh, Tommy was much deeper a lot of the time, which I think utilizes his strengths, which is carrying the ball, uh, getting on the ball and carrying it forward is something that he's good at. Releasing the final pass is not something he is good no. at. No, he has no, been extremely no. poor at it. Wow, this season, so bad, <laughs> so so bad. Is he just a really bad passer? Did I miss this last year? I mean, I think so. I think that uh, I think that last year, uh, a lot of his uh, he didn't have a lot of assists. I don't think uh, anyway. Uh, but a lot of his dynamic play came from when he found himself sort of alone in space. And he's definitely not a pastor like Christian Espinosa from San Jose is, that's for certain. Um, and he's not a pastor like somebody like Benny Fellhopper was, or even Felipe um, um, uh, Gutierrez was, uh, honestly. Uh, he does not, um, he is not showing to this point that he has the ability to make that, that final creative pass or even uh in most cases either the the vision or the desire to make it right and i I think that that honestly i kind of touched on this last week and you know that 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 maybe hit him himself like tommy himself is is a big part of the problem um just um I, I don't know. I don't want to say ball hogging, but I mean, it's kind of ball hogging, but it's also, he's just not meshing well with the other attackers. And that's part of it is just an inability to, to uh, slip people in behind the line an inability to find the pass, a, a, a willingness to just dribble until he gets tackled. Um, uh, a, and, and, you know, we've talked, uh, we've talked in the past about how he, he habitually takes up space that, uh, that shallow we supposed to be in. Um, and, and that's a problem. Uh, and I, I don't think that that was, I don't think he was doing that as much last year. I think that there was maybe a little bit more, uh, uh a little bit better interplay between the two of them and obviously Willie Agata and, um, and, and I would like to see him, you know, overlapping uh, and underlapping more and making runs instead of instead of just trying to carry the ball himself. Like he, yeah, I was. It's funny that you, that you mentioned this because I was uh, I was comparing um, on FB Ref um, Tommy and and Gotti Kinda, and they're actually very similar players in a lot of respects. And and um, and Tommy, you know, is still a, an elite ball progressor, um, uh, an elite dribbler. Uh, an elite shot creator for himself, uh, but but the the places where he where he fails are in xG, you know, the ability to 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 find passes that make his teammates dangerous, uh, and then obviously in he's not in 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 cases other than um, 
pressing in the attacking third. He's he's uh, in some cases a, a, in a lot of ways a, a, a defensive liability. Yeah, he's he's um, his expected assists are generally very very low for a comparable midfielder. Um, I think you know you you brought up a couple points that resonated with me. One of them is his meshing with Shallowy, especially this season. I think there are two issues at play here. One of them is he does not find that pass. He does not release Shallowy into space, and that's a big problem because that's where Shallowy eats. That is his high-level competency in attack is his ability in space, taking a dribbling against a fullback. That's what you want him doing. And or against a center back, if he's pulled the fullback forward and you've released the ball behind, Tommy never finds that pass. The other issue you have is Robbie Volader is playing left back next to them, and he's not doing it either because he's not a left back. He just not his functional capability. I thought I, he's done a job in these three games, but it hasn't been good and it hasn't really been that helpful. And I think it's instructive to see that. Prior to the red card, who was playing on the left of that midfield? It was Felipe Hernandez because Felipe was actually looking for those passes with Shallowy, and Tommy does not. Um, and that's a problem. It, it's a significant problem, and it's one that could potentially be solved by a double pivot. There was a conversation we had beginning of this year where a lot of people were like, well, how are you going to get all of these players onto the field at the same time? Well, maybe Gotti plays as a true 10. Or maybe Polito plays as a true ten, or a, a false nine, if you want to call it that. Call it a four. Call it a four three three, but it's really a four four two with a false nine. Something along those lines um, might be a little bit more realistic for getting all of their Sporting's best players on the field. And I think you saw it play out after the red card, specifically in the second half on Saturday. Yeah, I, I don't think that. Uh, I, th- I think we're a long way away from having to worry about that problem because I don't think Gadikinda is going to be pushing his way into, especially the starting lineup anytime soon. But, but that's I think that that's uh, that's key is is how do you how do you get your best players on the field, but also how do you how do you put them in a place where they can be successful without being a detriment to the rest of the team? And 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 right now, uh, Eric Tommy is uh, he's being a detriment to the rest of the team. I think and. Uh, and that's not to say that he's not a good player. That's not to say that that the 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 club shouldn't have brought him in because I think that he 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 has a lot of really great qualities, but is it's just not working uh, uh, right now. And um, and I am bothered honestly by by the um, the stubbornness of, of Peter Vermes in terms of not um, not taking him off, not. Uh, not having him sub in for a game or two just to shake things up, just to because it's obviously it's obvious he's pressing. It's obvious it's obvious that that you know his his confidence is sort of flagged a little bit from the the first couple games in the season. And sometimes you just need a, a just to take your foot off the gas just for a little bit, just like stop and smell the roses and and and. Uh, and recognize uh, recognize the moment and recognize uh, where you are and I think that uh, I think that he could do well with just a little a little break and a little uh, a little maybe seeing the game from the bench for 60 minutes would not be the worst thing in the world 
we know he's a very cerebral soccer player and really reads the field well. So maybe that you're right. Sitting on the bench, watching, seeing what's happening would give him a different perspective of what's going on. So when he comes into the game, he's got a different idea of how he would approach it. I think that pulling him deeper has the added benefit of using his activity and his pressing in a positive way as opposed to getting him stranded upfield, which often happens and creates transition events that are not positive for sporting. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I did see some positivity. Chris Whittingham was on Shades of Blue uh, this weekend or, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Monday, whenever they recorded it and talked about the fact that it talked about the stylistic fit of Tommy. And he was like, this guy looks like someone that should be playing for Red Bulls or for St. Louis, like just a guy running around all over the place uh, and carrying the ball everywhere. It, 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 he doesn't seem like the typical fit for what sporting has been doing lately because he's not a ball management player. No, he's not a passer. He's, he doesn't maintain possession either. Right. His 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 even his his just simple possession percentages are are very low compared to compared to the rest of the team and definitely compared to the other midfielders uh, and midfielders that we've had in the past. I I do I, I worry about his defensive capabilities um, in in a deeper position. So uh, I mean, we'll just have to see if that uh, how that how that is borne out. Um, you know, I do think he can play. I mean, he could play if you, if you're running a four, four, two, he could also, uh, play, uh, a wide midfield position. Um, and so that's something also to consider. Uh, but I think it's, it's worth going to run a four, four, two. Yeah, so. I know. No, I know. I, I realize. Uh, um, but I do think it's worth, I do think it's worth, uh, moving him around a little bit, just like I, I was happy to see him, uh, start on the right side. Uh, and I do think that, uh, I do think that it was helpful, and, um, and so we'll see. Um, we'll see if they continue to to, to try and do that, and uh, and if if maybe that can sort of loosen things up. You definitely have to put him in a place where the passes are simple. Yeah. Uh, because if if you put him in a place where he's got to thread a needle, it's going to be a problem. He yeah. even it just hits he hits it with bad weight a lot. Yeah. Just yeah. like just not good. Yeah. Just really bad. And I don't remember this, but I'm a lot more focused on it now that the team can't score a goal than I was last year when they were scoring goals for fun at the end of the season. So that might be why I, I, I'm not going to go rewatch 12 games worth of, of no, footage, no, no. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it, I don't remember this, but it just could be the game state is the reason why yeah. that we're not, that I'm not remembering it. Okay. Let's get to the next to the top three. And that is Robert Castellanos. Um, it was not a great game for, for, Casty, as he's referred to by the team. Um, he looked like a journeyman in his fourth ever MLS game, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Just, that's yeah. what it looked like. Yeah. I thought that he was fine in the first game that he started when obviously Vermees was making a point by benching Fantas. I think he has progressively gotten worse game by game, and he continues to more and more look like the guy that we could panic sign not from some what some team in Norway or wherever he had gone Finland yeah. I can't remember one of the Scandinavian countries and the fact that he was available that they would snatch they could snatch him that's the kind of player he looks like yeah uh he, the he completely whiffs on the goal um 
it, part of it is because Abobasi is making the peeling peel off run behind mm-hmm. him, and it's a very smart run by Abobasi. But part of it is just bad, you know, misunderstanding his. He had Abobasi covered. If he just yeah. stays with Abobasi, yep. there's no it's problem. Bad. It's there. just bad positioning. It's it's, not... it's bad for him for him to lo- let lose Abobasi, come mm-hmm. forward, and then try to do that weird one footed clearance attempt. Yeah, it's it's not good defending. Yeah. And so we and it, see it's that. also it's also not trusting your goalkeeper and um, you know just stand just just stand him up just stand Abobasi up and delay him mm-hmm. and and let your goalkeeper do his job and let your other teammates uh, track back to help and do their job because that's how Fanta or that's how Volater is it or yeah it was it was Volater behind him that's how Volater gets pulled towards Abobasi because Abobasi yeah. peels off clear and now Volater can't mark hit Espinoza who's free on the back post at the end. Which yeah. is what what's which is what ends up happening. It's a little bit of a domino situation. So, anyway, it was just poor defending. Uh, almost gives up another penalty in the 25th minute uh, on Abobasi. Uh, gets a gets gets bailed out on that one. And then there's the whole red card PK sequence. And you know, a bunch of people wanted to argue about whether or not this was a red card or whether it was a penalty or any of these kinds of things. Guys, you can't you can't put your hands over the shoulder of an attacking player when you're the last defender back. It's just you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Did he pull him super hard? No. But any smart center forward is going to go down yeah. as soon as he feels Absolutely. that hand. Every Absolutely. single time. As soon Absolutely. as you put your hand over that guy's shoulder when you're the last defender back in that sequence, that fo- that guy's going to go down. Yeah. And it was just dumb. It was just dumb. He had gotten back goal side. He didn't have yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. Make 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 uh, make Abobasi make a play, you know. I mean, you have to. Abobasi didn't even have the ball. He had like right. lost control of the ball. Yeah, yeah, it was a dumb play. And, and you know, Vermees went on it, on and on about it in the post game press conference. And I'm like, dude, this is this is a penalty every time. Maybe yeah. the red card, because I I sort of can understand a little bit of the the conversation on the red card part of it, but. Everyone that I have listened to talk about this that is not a sporting Kansas City fan and not a San Jose fan, just like an observer, is like, no, that's a that's that's a penalty and a red card every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so I I, I don't really have a big issue with the call. It was a dumb play. And this is my main concern with it. I, I highlighted this highlighted this at the beginning of this conversation, is that he has been getting worse every game. I thought when he played that very first match that he came in for Fontas, that that was a statement to Fontas. Hey, get your shit together. Mm-hmm. And that and that Fontas would come right back. And it's typical Vermees. Oh, well, quote unquote, this worked right against against yeah, Philly. Yeah. So we're going to keep trotting it out. And he didn't look good against Colorado. No, he did not. And he looked pretty terrible in this one he's suspended so of course Fontas is going to start um this week but well i guess maybe not we'll get into the preview here in a second depending on whether you know, so, whether we so believe logan and denbay is available in in his defense right he is um he is what uh, the being as generous as you could possibly be he's the fourth he's a fourth string center back uh, he's the fourth best center back, and he might even yeah. be the fifth. And so, well, Rindov uh, would be playing if he's the fifth. 
Well, but I mean, uh, you have Courtney Ford and... Oh, okay. If you include right, Ford, so, okay. I'm yeah, talking about yeah, guys that so, aren't injured. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, um, and 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 if if we had a healthy left back, uh, he wouldn't have been in the game at all. Because uh, Volletter would have been starting. And, um, and so... I mean, that's not to make an ex- you know, it's it's not to excuse what he he did. I mean, it's it just happens sometimes, and uh, and sometimes your players who are bad make bad decisions. And you know, there, it's I I I think Rosero has been um, uniform. Not he's been he's been very very good, especially uh, in in the air. But he he has left uh, Castellanos out to dry uh, often. And so he likes uh, to get upfield and then right. get, I mean, he, he has the athleticism to get uh-huh. back. So I understand why he does it, but, but, but you got it, but yeah. you also have to realize who you're playing with. Right. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe you can do that against a veteran, like, uh, like Fontas or, or, uh, or against a more savvy player, like uh Volitor, but you can't do that against, you can't do that when you're playing with someone like Castellanos. Well, but okay. But Rosero on that play had not left him stranded. He was holding the line high and Castellanos was not even with him. Yeah. If Castellanos is even with him, Obobasi is offside on that play. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm with you, but that's not why he got into this situation. Yeah. I agree. He was, he was a step and a half behind Rosero and that's why Obobasi was onside for that play. So again, I, I, my thing is, I'm not blaming him. He is the fourth best defender available on this team. Yeah, probably the fifth best if Courtney Ford is available is is not injured. But the the third best or second best, however you want to rank him and Vol- Vontas and Volader, is sitting on the bench for the third game in a row because Vermes is trying to send a message or he's trying to roll with whatever he. I don't know. You've, your message has been sent. Either. Your <laughs> right. message has been sent. It's delivered. You think Fantas is stupid enough not to recognize what happened and isn't ready to get his head on straight and go back out there? You, you're you're putting your $84,000 a year minimum senior minimum roster guy out there playing left center back when you have a guy that you re-sign for the next two years making 700 plus, I'm sure. We'll wait and see what, what's going on with the salary dump. And you're you're leaving him on the bench for three straight games. Yeah. You cannot tell me that Robert Castellanos, you believe is a higher quality player than him. No, no. And I think that, I think that, that, that they looked good enough, him and Rosero together on the first game that to, to, to maybe warrant a, a second look. But, uh, but your, 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 your point is well taken that, they he looked bad enough again in the Colorado game that maybe uh, uh, we should have had Fontas back in and and, um, and you know Fontas and Rosero they need to have time together too because you got to look also at the upside of Castellanos I mean I, I don't think that anybody sort of expects uh, expected at any point in the last handful of games for for him to become you know a, re- a regular starter or, or to him to have you know either the to develop the passing range or or any of the other things that sort of we need out of that position. And so, you know, you're always looking at either going back to Fontas or going to Volader and 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 you you Volader um 
Volater's playing left back, so he's not that option. But you know, Fontas needs uh, Fontas needs reps with with uh, Rosero as well, and uh, it, it would be nice to see the two of them. You know, it'll, it will be nice to see the two of them play together and and see uh, and see what happens because I think they they theoretically could complement each other uh, pretty well. You would think so. Uh, on paper, it seems to be something that would work. I yeah. thought when Fontes came on after Castellanos got the red card, I thought he played, he looked like Fontes. He looked like good Fontes. He was doing a lot of the uh, possession-related things that he does. He's very good under pressure. He can play the ball behind, you know, he'll he'll flip the ball behind himself and roll the pressure off him and then dribble forward. He's just really good with the ball at his feet. He's really hard to pressure into a mistake. And he just looked like himself again. And I just, I, like I said, you made a decision in the offseason to re-sign this guy for several years. It just seems a little bit galaxy brain to me that you're continuing to leave him on the bench for your panic signing that you had to do to fill out the roster right before preseason ended and that's the part the man management part that I continue to struggle with with Vermees is that he doesn't want to make changes he he only makes changes when somebody fucks up royally that's the only time he does it or gets and hurt sometime, yeah or gets injured those are the only times that he makes changes he he had an opportunity to make leave make a message or leave make a mark make, deliver a message he delivered it when you see Castellanos is not having the grass you know starting to regress a little bit bring Fontas in let Castellanos watch Fontas on the field and maybe Castellanos comes in in the next game yeah it's not like we're it's not like we're running for the fucking top of the table here right. like <laughs> what what are we doing like yeah. It's, well, it's, just... not, it's also not it's also not uh it's not all or nothing right it's not like start every game or yeah. or, or he can sit start on the bench, he can start the next one right? like you you let him see that this game is... from the bench just like you were talking about with tommy and then you come back and you're like these are the things that you weren't doing against colorado i want to see the next time out you did you see fonty do this that's coaching that's developing yeah. that's players de that's development is what that is yeah <laughs> so let's let's move to the next topic of the top three uh-huh which is specifically talking about leading indicators for success versus results, how different coaches look at those things. There was a fascinating interview in The Athletic last week, I think is when it was published, or maybe the beginning of this week, with Wilfred Nance, um, who, who has taken over as the head coach of the Columbus crew, had a very good season last year, having taken over from Montreal. And they, you know, they, the crew paid Montreal a lot <laughs> to be able to sign him. And it struck me for a couple of reasons. One being how we talked about Vermees's lack of experience when dealing with academy players. Like he has never coached in an academy. He has no familiarity with what an academy system looks like to coach and what those players' personalities are like, psychology is like, all of that kind of thing, right? Nancy has been an academy coach and director for the last for for seven years prior to becoming the head coach in Montreal. He was an assistant under Henri, but he had been in their academy system up until that point. And his approach to how he works with players, develops players, pulls them forward, 
is much more modern mm-hmm. than what you would see, what we're familiar with with Vermes. And so you, you you take that experience and then again that modern approach to how he delivers his vision is so it was so refreshing for me to read because it really is the kind of thing that I think that coaches need to be progressing more towards. Yeah. As you look generationally with the players that you're bringing into your team, the generation of players, especially the young ones, you know, sub 25, 25 and younger, the players you're bringing in, the life experience they have, how they think about motivation, all of those kinds of things are different than what you and I grew up with, certainly what Peter Vermees grew up with. And as a result, to connect with those players and motivate them effectively, you have to have a different approach. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting from Nancy was he said that, you know, we talk about identity and, you know, how we want to play and all that. And he's like, I think of it as a vision. I have a vision of what we want to be doing on the field, mm-hmm. how, how we execute our vision and our goal. And he said that winning matches well, is a consequence of a well-executed vision. Mm-hmm. It's not a scenario where I am, my goal at the beginning of the match is to win. No, my goal is to execute the vision of our style of play and our principles at a high, as high a level as possible. If we do that, we will win mm-hmm. as a consequence of that. And it was just, I thought, just a really good way to distill an idea to people and get them thinking about executing their part of the vision as opposed to trying to get this shot off, trying to yeah. make this dribble, trying to do that. That's not, and obviously the tactical part of it is still part of it. Being tactically proficient is still part of it. But that that communication style that was so indicative of his academy experience and, and developing kids, you can see why it's so effective, and it's so effective so quickly with the with the teams that he's coached so far. I I really hadn't I really hadn't heard much about him or or know much about him other than obviously just watching. Um, his teams play a little bit and uh, that article was was really eye-opening and uh, he sounds like a really cool guy and like like I would love for I would love to play for someone like that and I would love for someone like that to coach my team Um, um, you know I do think that uh, there have been times uh, in the past um, where uh, where Peter Vermes has come close to that sort of thing where executing the vision was was maybe the most important thing and and there have been times when uh, the, when the team really approached uh, I think uh, the the ultimate vision and and those teams um, those teams were really um, they were at the same time um, uh, well drilled uh, but also um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. They, they, they were. You, you could tell that they were well drilled, but they were also executing the vision in a way that it wasn't. It wasn't drudgery, right? It wasn't. It wasn't a burden on them. It was a, a, a liberating thing, and that was one of the things that Nancy talked about: is you know being able to being able to have a structure, but also have creativity to play off of that. And um, and I think that somewhere uh, along the way, I think that 
that sporting has stumbled a little bit. And, you know, I do think that uh, a lot of it is, is um, a lot of it's just due to um, maybe uh, a lack of, of, of bringing in new voices and um, new perspectives. Um, because when you think about it, um, you know, Goran has been here since the beginning and Zvagnin has been here since the beginning and uh, Zussi has been here and uh, Roger has been here. And, um, and so uh, you have, um, you know, I think that, that, that for a coach to be successful for a very long period of time, um, you, you have to, you have to press the, the refresh button um, and, and you have to do that with players and you have to do that with, uh, with staff. And I think that maybe, uh, maybe part of the problem is that, um, is that the team's been a little, uh, Peter Vermes has been a little hesitant to do that. He's, he is, you know, he likes to stick with what has worked in the past because it worked and, and, and that's understandable, but, um, you run the whenever when you do that you run the risk of of holding on too long and and I think that that's kind of uh, where we see things right now and I think that um, um, I don't know I mean we can talk we can talk a little bit later about the solutions but uh, but I do think that that's a big a big part of the problem and uh, and I would like to see um, I would like to see some some fresh ideas and some 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 fresh voices on the field uh, to that. I mean, we saw we saw what it did last year. Just when you brought in Agata and Tommy, I mean, that's a, that that was important, right? And that was uh, that was a breath of fresh air to the team. And I think the same thing applies to um, to uh, voices on the sideline. You know, they 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 say that they that and 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 you know. You hear reports, and and I totally believe them that that you know Burmese is is open minded, and you know there's a lot of you know people are encouraged to challenge him, and there's a lot of 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 healthy uh, confrontation and argument about the but if it's the same guys doing the same thing for the for ten years, you know it's just what what's the point of that, right? There's no there's no new ideas. It's just a recycling of everything, and and. Um, and that's an extreme way of looking at it, but I do think that there's truth in it. I would say that just because it's the same people doesn't mean the same ideas are being said. So I would be a little, I would, I would push back a little bit on that philosophy. But what I would agree with you is there, there's a concern about the diversity of thought in that technical room as well as on the field because everyone is so hesitate to use this phrase, but indoctrinated into the philosophy. And Vermes is, I don't know that he's reticent to change because this has worked before, but it's more that he believes in his philosophy eventually proving out. And he doesn't want to make a knee-jerk reaction to it. And I think that there are some reasons for that to be a good way to look at it. I think that if you look at the first 10 or so games last season, 10 to 12 or 10 to 12 games last year, there were some changes that were forced because of available players where he did some kind of crazy stuff. You know, I think of that 3-3-3-1 three, 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 they yeah. played with Nikola Voinovich had just gotten off a plane against Chicago. Yeah. He didn't necessarily have to do that. They could have continued to play in their style and vision. It would have required him playing a bunch of young players you know, homegrowns, but they could have done it. 
And I, so that's really my main concern is his reticence towards enabling youth players and figuring out how to effectively motivate them. His way of doing it, I don't know necessarily is working. Uh, in fact, I'm fairly, I don't want to say confident, but I'm pretty concerned that it's not, yeah. that it is actually a detriment to the development of these players. Ex- like... Except in the rare circumstance where they just happen to directly align to his thought process. I mean, I kind of feel like um, at times I feel like they've they've built a team to compete in 2015, you know, um, and um, and the the league is not like that anymore, and um, and the 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 league has got younger and more talented and more dynamic. You're gonna see two homegrowns play for New um, England this weekend. I know for I know. Bruce fucking for Arena, Bruce. who yeah, would never absolutely. play a homegrown. Absolutely, and and uh, it it feels like we're just so far off of that uh, path at the moment. And um, and that's not to say that that's that's the path that everybody should be on. Uh, but I think that especially for a, a, a team that's in a smaller market, I think that you have to be on that path. I think that you have to be a, I think that you have to be able to, to play, to play young players and develop young players and to sell young players. If, if, if you don't, if you don't have a coach and a system and a club who's sold on doing that, you are, you are, uh, you're setting yourself up, I think, for for long term disappointment because you won't be able to compete. You know, the only way that you can compete um, financially um, with with teams uh, like uh, LAFC, uh, for instance, or Seattle, the only way that you can p- compete with those teams is to is to develop young players and to sell them. Right, because we don't live in those markets. We don't have uh, we don't have the kind of uh, uh, place where people just naturally want to, you know, take less money to move here and play here or whatnot. And so you know, we we have to be able to uh, we have to be able to do things a little bit differently. Um, and I think that that the the strategy of sort of you know bargain bin shopping and looking for diamonds in the rough um, is is okay. Uh, as part of your strategy, but but I think that it's become sort of maybe too much of the strategy, and um, and you know there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no you know there's no players that w- right now necessarily to be excited about you know the potential of of, of selling on you know for uh, for a large transfer fee in a couple of years. And it seems like every other freaking club in the whole <laughs> league has you know young players that are exciting and dynamic and that um and that have that potential at least yeah i I don't disagree um i i I wonder if there's a little bit of a generational gap in vermes's style does he need to have a younger coach on his staff that can help bridge that gap i don't know I, i i i would like to think that everyone evolves you know, I'm not that much younger than Peter Vermees. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely closer to him in age than I am to Cameron Duke. But my point, my point is, is that there's, it just feels a little bit like a lot of the same. Not a whole lot is changing in the yeah. overall philosophy of how the team is structured. And I think that that's the problem that we're highlighting. And we need, we're, we're thinking that something needs to evolve there. And we'll so, talk about so, that when we get I mean, there. Think about it like this, Drew. You know, uh, we we 
we have three um we we signed three u22 uh um designated players or whatever whatever they're called um and and um two of them were defenders um and that's weird honestly that's weird um because you know what you can get good de domestic defenders you can other teams do it all the time and and the 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 players that you can uh that you can develop and um who are entertaining and technical and skilled that you can sell on to Europe are not defenders. True. I, I don't disagree with you there. There are some limitations in how the U22 signings have to go and what their salary can be and whatnot for them to be like Tiago Almada can't be a U22 player. Now, granted, I'm not saying we're signing Tiago Almada, but there are certain players that cannot be U22 players because their salary has to be under the DP threshold. So there are some limitations there, but I agree with you. It's a little weird. Um, those U22 signings look like we've signed this guy to turn him into a starter here long term. Not we signed this guy to yeah. develop him and sell him on and yeah. make money. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the, the, that's the that's, wrong approach. It, it is. I agree with you completely. But that that's that feels more like what they're doing than it does. than the, than the other one. Um the other thing that I read from The Athletic this week was another interview with another coach, which is Ben Olsen, who is now in Houston and has that team playing more functional soccer than they have in a long time. I don't know if they're really good. They look good, but they're getting results. And one quote really stuck out to me um, as I'm looking at sporting and going and analyzing their data and without spending a whole lot of time going into it, sporting is not as bad as the results indicate. They're not that bad of a team. They're not a good team, but they're not that bad either. They're, they should be somewhere around the bottom playoff spots, realistically, based on how they're playing soccer right now. But Ben Olsen had a great quote in that article, and Paolo Maurer was asking him, it's like, what about your style and building your style and making sure, you know, having your vision and, and whatnot, as, as, um, as Wilfred Nancy would say. And he's like, you know, results still matter in this league. You you can't rely on your metrics if the results don't if the results aren't there. You can't go, yeah. oh well, it's fine. These metrics say we're going to get there eventually. You still need to achieve results at the same time, and um, that's the part that I'm struggling with a little bit right now. Is that yes, the underlying numbers don't lead you to believe this club is this bad. They're definitely underperforming both their, you know, expected results along with their talent. But it's on the coaching staff to figure out how to get that out of them. And that often means making changes. And I'm not saying flip the whole boat over, but there are some things that you could do that I think would put players in better 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 positions to succeed. So with that, let's move on to Tactical Corner and talk about our three things we would change about this team. Now, I, we, didn't, we didn't put any boundaries on this, Cody. I, I thought about asking you, is like, are there boundaries on what are the three things we would change right away if given control of this squad? Um, 
one of mine is going to be much longer looking than uh-huh. the other two. Um, but I I will start with my first one because I, I know it's going to be one that's probably on your list as well. But it's not just it's not just playing into moving into a double pivot. I think that this team desperately needs to play in some type of double pivot, either in a four two three one kind of scenario where you look at a Pulido or a Kinda or somebody playing as as a true attacking midfield position, or I would prefer to see something more three back, wing backy, with a double pivot with this roster as it sits currently. I think that even when Leibold comes back, he can he can he definitely has shown that he has the ability to get high and overlap from the left side. Zusi as a wing back is a lot less concerning to me than Zusi as a fullback. Um especially if Rosero is playing as the right center back. I just have a lot less concerns about his defensive liabilities in that position. So Call it a three four three, call it a three four two one, call it a three five two if you want to, but I think that something along those lines would make would be the, one of the first things I would change about this club, mainly because it creates a defensive width and stabi- stability that they need, and it takes all of this impetus on having a world class number six out of the hands of the team that doesn't have one. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think that that is uh, one of the major shortcomings of, of the system. And one of the ma- major shortcomings of how the team has been built uh, for years is just the, the, the inability to have um, a consistent depth at like what is literally the most important position uh, on uh, on the field um, for for the way that that Peter Vermes wants to play and and so um, instead of instead of just banging your head against the wall and 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 keep trying to play players in that position who aren't um, who who aren't naturally you know number sixes elite number sixes uh, just do away with it entire entirely and play a double pivot it's okay it'll be okay right you that teams do it all the time. <laughs> well, and right? I'm no longer uh, worried about Remy Voltaire getting sucked to one side. I'm no yeah, longer, you know, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. there's, there's so many yeah. dependencies. It's, it's on liberating. This position. It has and the potential it, to be liberating. Yeah. And it's gonna, it might be a little more boring, but yeah, how, I mean, it's going to be boring. Well, I mean, in the way they're, that they're pretty boring play right through now. Us. Yeah. Well, right. it's going to be boring in the way that, we're not going to be giving up transition opportunities and it's right. it, as much, and it's going to be, we're going to be harder to play through as a result of it. But it's not like this team is creating a ton in the attacking end anyway, and there are right. still ways to do that. You you were posting something today about your team using dual tens and and you know like a box midfield with a double pivot and dual tens, and you can do some fun stuff like that if you want to. There's yeah. a variety of ways to take this type of setup and make it good. And let's be honest with each other. This team is not ever going to look like LAFC does. They don't have the ability to get that much talent on the field. You are, you're expecting them to utilize the talent that they can get at a higher level than other teams. That's what we're looking for. If you want the last 10 years, not to become a distant memory, you 
have to out execute other teams. It's some of and a lot of it's going to be, you know, two to ones and things like that. We're not going to be housing people four to one and creating three plus XG. Those, those aspirations aren't realistic. We, we might, we, we might when Johnny Russell plays Vancouver, cause that kind of happens sometimes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or but when that's we, it. you know, or when we play Tulsa next Tuesday, <laughs> but oh, don't, <laughs> don't do it, man. You, I mean, dude. you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm not that concerned about that game. If we get beat by an NPSL team, just, just light the whole thing on fire. Okay. Um, but seriously, like the, it doesn't need to, there, there are abilities to it. it a couple things happen when you do this. One of them is it gets to my second piece, which is getting a, a real opportunities for younger players on this team to develop them or figure out if they're good enough. And if they're not moving on from them and figuring out who you move, who, who, who you do have that you can bring up and continue to c- create chances for, because that's a, a system that is a little bit less dependent on a high on a elite level number six and is a little less dependent on really intricate movements in and out of half spaces and vertical channels mm-hmm. allows you to play Felipe Hernandez and Cam Duke in that double Simpl- pivot. Sim- simplify it, man. Yeah. Make, make create it a, create a system okay. that more players on your team can slot into when needed and yeah. do a job that yeah. isn't that that when it's ten percent worse than the other guy that's in there doesn't totally fuck your team over. Yeah, you and I talk about this being a weak link sport so much. Well, in MLS, the the discrepancy between your best and worst player is significant. It's yep. big. It's not like being in the Premier League where the guy that can't even make the bench would wipe the floor with most MLS players. It, and is you know within five percent as good as the other guys on the roster. It's not like that. You have a very wide range of talent, and if you have to put that talent on the field, and it is not capable of handling the system that you're running, that it creates this massive weak link for you. You're going to lose. You're going to give up bad chances, and that's the 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 biggest problem that I think this team has is that when they don't have their starting eleven, their floor goes down. A bunch, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, I I agree. And, and you know the thing is, is that it, it, one of the one of the things that that can you know sort of help uh, lead to this kind of, uh, of of solution that you're talking about is you have to realize that like Cam Cam Duke is a lot closer to Eric Tommy than he is to Gotti Kenda. Um, he's a lot mm-hmm. more of a direct player, a lot more, and so so. You, they there's 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 overlap there where those two players can uh can you know be substitutes for let me talk you through this real quick so i I, and you're you're leading right into what my thought process is here it's kind of a three four three it really is um eric tommy is your left-sided wide midfielder cam duke or caden pierre can play as your right-sided wide midfielder you've got any of radia voltaire and kinda playing in the middle of that system and then up top, you've got winger, winger, center forward. However you want to do it, you can have the wingers operate in the half spaces. Both both Shallowy and Russell are very adept at operating in the half spaces and allowing that width to come beyond them. I think Russell will do it more, which is great because Cam Duke is a player that will absolutely overlap him, um, as will Caden Pierre. 
Zussi can play in that role if he needs to. I'm a little let. Um, I don't know how well he overlaps, and I worry about him cluttering up the midfield sometimes. But realistically, that is a functional setup that you can use youth players. Felipe Hernandez would be great in that double pivot. You can let Jake Davis get minutes in that jump double pivot. You can let Danny Flores get minutes in the double pivot. There are a bunch of players that you have that would actually fit into this really well. And you can play a bit of a counter-attacking transition-based system that plays to the strengths of the players that you have. You don't have an elite passing midfielder on the field. No. <laughs> it does not exist. Not even close. Maybe, maybe Radia is. I don't know. We haven't seen him play enough to know if he really is. But even if he is, that's not a bad thing that if he's if he's dropping dimes from deep and hitting yeah. line splitters, if he's in that double pivot and hitting line splitting passes to a, a an an overlapping or underlapping wide midfielder slash wingback, that that's that's a bonus. Yeah. But you don't have an elite creator, so you have to use transition moments to get your players into space because they don't have the passing ability otherwise. And I think a. a a counterattacking, really good counterpressing 3-4-3 would be a fun setup for this team. Yeah. I think I said it last year, too, but that is that is absolutely something I would look at doing right away. Again, it accomplishes my second part of this, which is getting youth players on the field more and giving them opportunities so we can really see what we have and as well as get them developed. And maybe you trade them for something. We have a we have like six central midfielders on the roster that that never play. Yeah, <laughs> like let's let's get some value so, out of these players. So, so this sort of leads us to uh, to one of my ideas, and uh, and that was actually kind of uh, it's similar uh, in that it includes a, a double pivot and a formation change, but it's it's the opposite in terms of the the style of play and expectation. And so I I kind of think uh, that that maybe uh, you could go uh, full on back to high pressing. Um, a high pressing system and play a uh, like a four triple two or something like that, and um, and 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 just press high. The team is already a, an excellent high pressing team. Uh, they're they're just doing it in counter pressing moments uh, when they lose possession, uh, and so I think it would be a, an easier transition to just become a full a full on all out pressing team, just like the good old days and. Um, uh, they have, as you as you mentioned, they have young players and uh, and depth in midfield to do it. It it almost certainly means that you know uh, you're gonna see Graham Zusi's career end more more quickly than otherwise. But um, I don't know that that's necessarily you know the worst possible thing. And I think that he you know he might be able to to he he can still be a valuable uh, you know substitute addition to the team. Uh, regardless, and I think that that it, uh, in addition to having the double pivot, I think that you know it gives you some some flexibility with the uh, uh, with the wide midfielders and and having a second forward, uh, which you know you could put you know you could put Shallowy and and either and Shallowy and and Tommy in either one of those spots, and they could even you know switch on and off interplay throughout throughout a game, uh, switching between that that wide midfield and second forward spot, and so it also gives you it also gives you the option of putting uh, Polito and um, 
and uh, Agata on the field at the same time. Uh, it also gives you a formation and style that, you know, if you have to play uh, uh, Kyrie Shelton, that's not the worst thing. So it's he would, better he fit would for fit very skills. well into it. Uh -huh. He certainly would. He certainly would. If if you're you know because Johnny Russell's not going to last and uh, ninety minutes right. playing that right. so you're going right. to need to have some options off the bench yeah. at the hour mark for some of these players, but Shelton for a half hour especially if they've already scored a goal or two at that yeah. point you know he he will absolutely just destroy he will wear those people out and so there there is. I can see it. I can definitely see and, it. And, you I know, also we, think what that we've seen it with St. Louis some... is you don't have to, it doesn't have to be, you know, pure Red Bull soccer, all press all the time. You can still possess the ball and, and, and do those things, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's just a, a shift in mindset. I think. That's what I was going to say. Some tactical flexibility, I think would be a good thing. I think you can yeah. do that out of either one of these setups that we're discussing is that you can, you can, absorb and play for transitions you can counter press the hell out of them and then high press them whenever they're playing from their back line there, there are a number of different ways that you can set it up to where it doesn't it's not like chaos it's not leads you know yeah. what i mean it, there that's not i don't think what either one of us are suggesting no but but there's there's opportunity to utilize the strengths of your roster and the other thing is, it doesn't require you to sign a ten million dollar number ten. Yeah, to that's be, exactly it. To be functional, and you can sign is... you can sign Kansas City boys to play that system, and they mm -hmm. can do it. But if you have an elite midfielder, that they, they can function in that role too. Look at mm -hmm. Edward Lovin in St. Louis. Yep. The, he is playing great in that role because he's getting on the ball in space a lot because of the way mm -hmm. that the system works. But any midfielder of any quality is going to love being on the ball in space. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're able to add to that quality in those positions, then it's just going to make you that much better. And, I and think Philly, has, I, Philly has shown that you can, you can play young players uh, in, uh, in a pressing system and, and still showcase them to sell them on. As well as play fun looking soccer. Yeah. That's the thing that I think a lot of people consider a pressing system to be like murder ball and that yeah. it's not fun. And it doesn't have, it doesn't, everything doesn't have to look like a Red Bull system. It doesn't have no. to look like leads. It, it can, you can have a pressing system that is actually functional and fun to watch and entertaining. That was another big piece. I don't know if you read that part of the, the article with Nancy and they were talking about entertainment. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, a, it's, that's a, it important. Is a, in fact, our goal is to be entertaining. We're, yeah. we're putting on entertainment for the people in the stands. That's how we get paid. Yeah, sports is if, entertainment. <laughs> if we execute the vision, it will be entertaining as a consequence. We will win matches as a consequence. All of those things will come together. And so I think that, yeah, realistically, that's what we're looking for is, is some way to, to get out of this really, what has looked sort of gotten monotonous just a monotonous brand of soccer that yeah. you can see what they're trying to accomplish. And you can see that the system is putting players into spaces that are, are good. They're just not performing yeah. at that point. And I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if we just don't have the right players to do what they're supposed to do at that point. I don't know if there's so much film on how this team tries to go back to front that it's really easy to defend because we don't have a game winning, you know, midfielder. 
We yeah. don't have, uh, it appears we don't have a game-winning striker yet. Maybe Polito rounds into that form, but it's not there right now. And um, as a result, it's just, there's, it's just boring. It's yeah. boring to watch. And, and and you watch people make loose touches, and every touch now becomes a big deal because you need perfection to get to the goal. Because every, every touch is a counterattack, man. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. The last right, thing I was going to... What's your, what's your second... Uh... Well, my second one was getting youth players on the field, so I'm going to go to my okay, third gotcha. one, which is, right. it, which is something I talked about a couple weeks ago. It's a roster overhaul. There's an opportunity here for us to cut bait on a lot of the roster and then rethink how signings are done. And again, this is where there weren't any boundaries put in place. So I, you know, me, the, the, the salary cap nerd, I was, you know, looks at, I'm looking at what are the right ways for us to do that. And as I've said before, I think if you, if you decide this at this point in the season that you're going to make a change to your identity and how you play soccer and your formation and your setup and your style, You've got the rest of the season to figure out who's capable of it. And then you can make decisions on who's resigning, who's not, what people you're able to move on from. And then you start looking for players of the profile that fit what you're talking about, what what you're trying to accomplish. And you're less tied to these very ball at your feet, move the ball through zones kind of players that are very specific and unfortunately, the really good ones all play for Real Madrid and Man City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're now you're now scouting out of a much larger talent pool where the difference from the top to the bottom is much smaller. Yep. And I think you're able to invest your money in a useful way where you can get guys like you know Philly's got well they've got them from everywhere too. They've got Carranza who they got from Miami for nothing because. Fucking Miami tried to break all the rules and they had to get rid of players. But they've also got Daniel Gazdag. Mm-hmm. They've also got Mikel Ure, right? These are really good, you know, useful players. Even Seattle, you mentioned Seattle and about comparing their capability to get players and all the, and the stuff that sporting can't do. Seattle is also playing a bunch of their homegrowns. Joshua Tensio, Reed Baker Whiting, um, Obed Vargas, like they have a bunch of good players that are playing meaningful minutes for them from their academy. Also, it's not like they spent $20 million on Raul Diaz. Yeah, yeah. He was like a $2 million transfer that's making like $2 million a year. Yeah. Canely Sporting spent more on Pulido, a lot yeah. more. Yeah. Nicolas Lodero, he wasn't some crazy transfer from somewhere. So there are opportunities for you to bone your team up and within the boundaries of the financial stuff that's there. And I'm not saying that the owners are cheap and not allowing them to do certain things, but there is an aspect of this where if the $10 million player is on the table, is that player coming to Kansas City? Or do you have Mm -hmm. to pay $20 million to get that player? And it's not good business to pay 2x just to get a player that would otherwise go to L.A., you need to be able to have a functional team without the $10 million player. And, uh, exactly. and what, and, and what we've seen is that that that's been, you know, 
that's been really hard for Sporting Kansas City to do. And we've spent two years waiting for Polito to get healthy because that's going to be the cherry on top. That's going to be the key to unlock all the potential to the team. And and uh, and it shouldn't be that way. And, and, and in fact, that kind of uh, that kind of leads in and has a lot of overlap with uh, with my second uh, um, my second thing to fix the team and that is to to play with the team that you have not the team that you might have a couple months or a, a window uh, a transfer window down the road um, and so it's it's kind of uh, similar to what you were saying it's you know it's uh, that means you have to be you have to be a little bit more flexible tactically for you know, Formation-wise, um, and um, and system-wise, in order to 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 make use of the players that you do have, because you have to play the you, you know you have to play the players you have. We can't we can't hold out waiting for Polito to get healthy. Uh, we have to we have to win games now, and we have to compete now. And um, and so my third one uh, is actually I think maybe a little less. Uh, esoteric, a little more sort of nuts and bolts, um, and that is to uh, just to hire a set piece coach and to make set pieces um, like absolutely just the absolute uh, priority and uh, attacking set set pieces specifically. You know, um, Sporting uh, are one of the league league leaders in um, in um, corner kicks. Um, corner kicks thank you goodness um and and it makes sense because we spend all of our time you know camped out in uh in the opponent's half passing the ball around you know trying to you know make something work towards goal it makes sense that we have a lot of uh of of corner kicks uh we're terrible at them we've talked about that multiple times on the pod and and uh, uh and at this point we have i think uh on the roster we have enough players who are capable um, aerially, that that we can actually put together uh, a a a, um, a very good uh, team uh, to attack on set pieces because we have uh, you know I think Volader and and Rosero both Rosero especially uh, can can be can be very good in the air in the box uh, I I know that Johnny Russell can be um, and, um, uh, and and we also have somebody um, who can you know, deliver the ball in, in, in either Russell or Felipe. And, uh, and we want to make sure that we don't allow Eric Tommy to do that job. I was going to say, so does this set piece coach get to choose <laughs> no, who takes no. the set pieces? Yes, because... yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we, we have, so, so we have Rosero, uh, Volater, uh, uh, Russell, Agata, and Polito. Those five players in the box should be able to score set piece goals. They should. Uh, and if you have anybody who's like just semi competent at putting the ball where it needs to be, just just by sheer like <laughs> just by sheer luck, those guys should be able to get goals. Walker Zimmerman scores and, three to four goals a year every year. Yeah, you know why? Because R- R- Nashville concentrates on their big. set pieces because they have an elite center back <laughs> yeah. in the air. Why wouldn't R- you? I I I really am starting to think that Rosero can do that. I mean, he is he is. Already in just, a, in just a few yeah. games, he is he is a dominant uh, aerial presence. Like he, he wins, he wins balls. He's won double the aerial duels of any other player on the team, and he's been here for th- three games. Three games. I thought, I thought it was two, but yeah, maybe three. Regardless, well, he's played the last many. three. He's played the last three, okay. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he he came in against Philly, 
It was, that was the first. He's been playing ever since Castellanos started playing. So yep. it's been three games. Yep, three games. He's played three games of the eight, and he already has doubled the aerial duel wins of the yep. of anyone else on the team. Yeah, well, he's a dominant aerial player. Now, granted, part of it is because so many other guys suck at him, but that's part of the reason why he's so high up there. But he is definitely yep. up there. Um, there's the the American soccer analysis guys have a bunch of data that you can crunch in a bunch of different ways. And G plus is something you hear a lot Mm -hmm. because it sort of, it aggregates your ability to add to, to a team in a variety of different places. Rosero is already like the second best player on the team in G plus behind Zussi and Zussi just has a high rating because of his passing. Yeah. Um, compared to other fullbacks, which he's always going to be a much better passer than other fullbacks. Um, where Rosero gets all of his rating from is what they call interrupt. And that's your ability to clear a ball or get in, in, in front of a ball. And obviously he does that in the air as well. When, and every, whenever they try to play a long ball, he's always the one in there clearing it. Yeah. And um, he's like almost a full G plus in just in interrupts, which is really, really good for a defender. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's, I think, I think he's a good signing. He looks like yeah. it so far. And um, so, so that's something like like that's something that you can implement regardless of the 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 system or style of of soccer that you decide to play, right? If you play the possession based, you know, um, um, positional play that we're playing now, you could, you know, the, the the set piece attacking set pieces can can really be uh, your bread and butter. And if you play uh, if you play uh, more of a pressing system or more of a sort of you know. Uh, counterattacking system. Either one of those uh, can make use of of that uh, that emphasis as well. And so uh, that that's my like honestly, that's just that's if I could do one of them, that's the one I would do. It's the easiest one to implement with the li- least amount of change. Totally, totally. You know, all the stuff we're talking about from a you know strategic vision perspective, and how it's going to take ten games to get someone to go through yeah. a a structural change to what the formation looks like, what your roles are, how to play through them. Although yep. again, we got into that four, four, one and looked much more functional in possession than I'd seen all year playing down a man. So maybe the team's just I mean, fine. I, I think, I think <laughs> you kind of hinted at it, but I think you were right. And it, it's just, it's a space issue. You know, it's uh it's more space. It's more predictable space and, you know, offense attacking football is, is way easier when you have space to work with. But that's the thing is like we don't have more space against their defense. It's just we're not walking all over each other. Like this I is know. the thing you keep talking about is like <laughs> I know. Tommy keeps <laughs> occupying the space of other players. Yeah. And once they had that once he had to pull deeper and you had to play in that double pivot, all of a sudden those guys had space again. Yeah. And it 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 almost like I said, I can't I am not a guy with a USSF pro license. Hopefully the guys on this technical staff that have them can see this and go okay maybe yeah. <laughs> pull it back a little bit bro um jesus okay so i i agree with you on the set piece thing it feels like something that sporting has paid lip service to in the last several years and mm. it it can be like if you look at colorado colorado made the playoffs last year just basically yeah. on the basis of being a dominant set piece team yeah and, and we've um, been terrible since since uh, Ike Opara was here, 
and even the last couple seasons he was here after after that big injury uh he wasn't the same but mm -hmm. uh, we've been we've been i mean we have been terrible on 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 corner kicks specifically um since then um it's just an uh, it's just a re reoccurring theme you know and the strategy can't be i've got some you know generational talent in the air just lob it up there that's what they were that's how ike was scoring before they yeah, weren't right, running great <laughs> they weren't running great set pieces uh -huh. you just had a guy who could jump out of the sky and was really good with his head uh-huh that that's my, not, my favorite that's not my a favorite tactic is, for uh, winning corner kicks my favorite is taking is taking your dominant aerial player like it would be taking Danny Rosero and putting him beyond the back post so that so that you can kick the ball to him and he can head it down in front of a goal like why you overly complicate just put it on his fucking head man like you don't have to we don't have to like make a Rube Goldberg contraption to get the ball in the net you just like come on well yeah well sometimes set piece coordinators can do stuff like that so uh, you gotta yes. think yeah i don't know you gotta hire the right guy okay all right let's I'm, move on i'm available I'm just, that's all i'm saying okay cody's throwing his name in that in the ring to be the, <laughs> the new sporting kansas city set piece coach no okay moving on to potpourri just like your favorite jeopardy category this is where we discuss one topic that could be anything in and around the sporting kansas city or mls or greater kansas city soccer sphere matt potter has been fired this one came as a bit of a shock, I think, to everybody when it happened. Um, I'm trying to just parse through the statement and understand exactly what happened because he was in Houston. So right as we're recording this right now, the current are playing in their Challenge Cup match against Houston Dash. And they're up a goal. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe they're getting that new coach bump. Um but he, he traveled with the team to Houston. He was there ostensibly to coach this evening and at 2 o'clock this afternoon gets released. Hmm. It's, a, it's a tough one to parse. Um, the, the statement was issues around his leadership and employment responsibilities. That's some ambiguous PR speak, if I ever heard it. Yeah, it I, is. It's hard to think that there's not something more to this. For them to do it while he's with the team on a road trip, mm -hmm. yeah, hours before a match is supposed to start. This is there's something else going on here. Um, I, I I would say, given the issues the NWSL has had to deal with deal was not the they've had to come to grips with over yeah. the last several years NWSL clubs have to be very decisive mm -hmm. in scenarios where there could have been a player mistreatment issue an employer uh, employee mistreatment issue anything along those lines they have to yeah. act quickly in those circumstances and due to you know HR and legal reasons we're never going to know the ins and outs of what may or may not have created that you get libel and all kinds of other stuff that goes on. Yeah. And so you're always going to get these very nebulous statements that don't provide a whole lot of detail, but it's, it's hard not to think about the last, the, here's the three things I'll put up and you can kind of go from there, but they were mentioned in the NWSL investigation. Now this was related to Hugh Williams, but mm -hmm. it was specifically uh, the current were mentioned and then Hugh Williams was removed 
you know, and moved on, moved over to be a scouting director or whatever because of his what what was reported as retaliation. He had, you know, there were reports from players of him retaliating against them. Then you have the whole Makaya Minnis thing that happened right before the season started where they talked about her mistreatment as a draftee. Um, I think she was a third or fourth round draftee and was, there was, I'm not going to re litigate all of it, but it was, did not look good given how she was treated uh, during preseason with the club. And obviously Matt Potter is a big part of how new players are indoctrinated and treated. Um, so you have all that and you have this, and it's just hard not to connect some dots. And, and think that something else has also occurred here, and it was kind of a three-strike situation. Although, again, Potter wasn't specifically involved with the Hugh Williams stuff. Um, I have to also ask if Camille Ashton is the next one to have a look here. I mean, she's the one that was making the statements related to Matt Potter being let go, but she was at the helm for all of this. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if they've got... I My concern is... Is there some institutional issue here regarding how they're managing these situations? I don't know. It's it's just uh, NWSL teams in general uh, just seem to be continually um, um, confronting these issues and and having to to to, to ferret out problems in um, in those um, in those clubs and. Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there is an answer. Um, I don't I don't I don't even know that you know hiring all female coaches is the answer um, because that's not a perfect solution either. I think that that's honestly look at uh, look at Portland's coach. Yeah, I mean yeah, that, that yep 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 yep. It, uh, male or female doesn't seem to have a whole lot of impact on who's yeah. treating their players like shit. Yeah, that's uh, it's true and it's uh, it's sad and. Um, I, 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 I tend to think that, um, that, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I was going to say that, uh, I, I was going to say that these kinds of, uh, of abuses happen, um, or, or alleged abuses or whatever's going on. You know, these, these kinds of things happen at soccer at lots of different levels. Um, and I think that to an extent that that's true, but I do think that it's different. Um, it's different with women and with women's professional soccer, uh, specifically. And, you know, and I think honestly, uh, I just, you know, from what I know, um, um, uh, about the, 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 the youth soccer, um, in Kansas city and, um, maybe not so much now, but definitely 10 years ago, um, the, there were, there were well-known coaches. Um, and, and he was a coach at that time too. Right. Um, and I, I don't, I'd never heard anything about Hughes specifically, but there were well-known coaches who were, um, who were, um, just severely abusive, uh, verbally to their, to their players. Um, to the, I mean, I, I would never, I would never allow my, my, my daughter to play, um, for a coach like that. It would never even, she wouldn't do it first of all, which is, uh, which is a tribute to her, but, uh, uh, I would never have that expectation for her. And, uh, and I, I don't think that that's, that kind of behavior is necessary. And, um, I, um, I, I, I want to see all, uh, all sports move away from that. 
Um, and it's something that I, I try really hard to, um, you know, to, to be, be aware of, um, with the teams that I coach. And, uh, I, um, I love coaching girls teams. Honestly, they're a lot more, <laughs> just frankly, they're more enjoyable to coach than, uh, than, than high school boys, uh, because they, uh, um, cause they do, they, they follow instructions and they, uh, they, uh, the, the boys teams tend to kind of, um, be a little feral and kind of do what they want. And so, uh, I, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoy coaching girls and, uh, I, I just hope that, uh, I just hope that, 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 uh, we find a way to sort of, uh, uh, get to a place where we're not constantly running into these issues. That was going to be my main point. It's just, I feel yeah. like we're just underneath one of these every six months or less. Yeah, it's, right now. it's, it's, it's disheartening. And for sure. I want to be clear that, you know, Cody and I are putting, are, are putting two and two together and we don't yeah, even know what we don't know. It's more like we're putting two variables together and coming out with yeah. a, with an answer that may or may not be accurate. I think that the context upon which we're discussing is valid and accurate and appropriate to be discussing, especially whenever we hear of a situation like this. Um, what I, what I said tongue in cheek on Twitter was that, uh, was that he was, um, he was, he was really guilty of, of having a, a bad team that was playing boring ass soccer. And that also is true. So, um, yeah, that, that doesn't help the situation. <laughs> I mean, he, he has no central defenders. So yeah, it, it's, it's hard, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're winning they, tonight nothing, though, baby. Well, so far the, the word I'm hearing is that it's a bunch of backups for the dash and the defense hasn't looked super strong against those. And there's a bunch of subs about to come out. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the back three tonight is someone, the emergency signed a week and a half. Yeah. Now. How about so that? Crazy. I, it's yeah. I, the, the, the depth is a big problem. I'm not giving yeah. him a pass by any means. I, I right. don't know. Like I said, we don't know what went on here, but it's hard not to believe that there's something more. You don't release a coach four hours before they're supposed to kick off a match, an away match that he's at without something significant having occurred. So yeah. we will, um, we'll have to, you know, let it play out and see what, see what we end up learning. I don't, I don't know how much detail we'll ever end up learning about it, but hopefully um, the current can move forward positively from it. All right. One thing to look for. This week, Sporting Kansas City heads to Foxborough, Massachusetts, which is nowhere fucking near Boston, by the way. <laughs> People are like, oh, it's New England, it's Boston. Well, Foxborough is like 45 minutes to an hour outside of Boston. Um, this is going to be hard for sport. This is kind of like last week. I, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> From this match, because uh-huh. uh, New England, have, other than getting pantsed by uh, LAFC early in the season in L.A., they've looked pretty good. They've given up like three total goals in their other seven games. And, um, you know, they look at the, the one benefit that Sporting has is that uh, I don't think they'll be able to play in their 4-4-2 because uh, both Bobby Wood and Gustavo Bo are on the injury list. Now they're both questionable, but uh, it looks like the only real center forward they have is Vrioni, and he's only started twice this year. Yeah. So 
And when he did start the last time, it was in a four-two-three-one with Bo underneath or with uh, Carlos Hill underneath him. There's so the thing with Bruce. This is the thing with Bruce. You can see him try all kinds of shit. He will move players around. He'll yep. put them in different roles. He will give yep. them and he will give them instructions and let them do it. He's the, sort of the anti-Vermees in that regard. Um, <laughs> he he doesn't he doesn't have a problem moving guys around. I think for the you're gonna probably see the blessing um, blessing and uh, polster double pivot for sure. Yeah. And uh, but Dylan Barrero is on a red card, so he can't play. So they're, they're they I are gonna be missing that. some guys. Nice. Yeah. 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 So. They're probably going to, that's what I was going to say. They're most likely going to play and I'm going to, I'm not even going to attempt to say his name, but they're, they have a homegrown 18 year old, um, that plays left wing that came in when Barrero got in, uh, got his red card. Um, but I'm not going to even, it's, it's a, it's a crazy one. It is very, um, Eastern European. Um, so they've got him and then they've also got Noah Buck who is uh, a fun young player, both of whom have been playing quite a bit. And so mm-hmm. if, if Bruce, if, if Bruce arena um, with his phony baloney comments <laughs> <laughs> can, can get to, uh, can get to play in youth players and we can't, that's a, that's a big, that's a big problem. Um, if they have to play out of the four, two, three, one, I, I would expect that they would have played out of that anyway. It makes more sense for their pressing structure against their four four three. So, um, that said, if they if they do come out in a four four two, I wouldn't mind seeing Felipe pull back and play the six. Although, I don't know how much to read in any of this stuff. Sperry is saying that it's possible that Radia and Adenbe are going to be available in this game. Okay. I mean, I, available doesn't mean starting. So yeah, that's true. I, I just, you know, I just assume that I just assume that those are those two guys coming off come injury off on turf. Yeah. You, you right. would expect that it, <laughs> that it's yeah. unlikely that that's going to be something that happens. Uh, but you know, who knows? I, I would I would just say that I would like to see um, if we're going to play with the same midfield that uh, Felipe gets to play a little deeper, and we get Remy higher up the field. Um, I think. Of but those never, three. They've, they've never they've never done that um with the first team i know and i don't under, because he played at the six all the time when he played for the yeah. twos and swill park rangers and he played in that position he plays in that played in the position all of preseason so yeah, i don't know i don't know i think he's probably the best like long passer of those three midfielders and mm-hmm. that would lead to his skill set to be playing from deeper. Yeah. But I mean, he he's ends also, up doing a lot of this ball at... crashing stuff that it I yeah. it just it doesn't come off though, man. Like I like what he does, but it never comes off because the the players that he's playing with are not fast movement playoff chaos transition. You know what I mean? That's not that's not what they do. So when he when he comes in and steps in front of a ball and clears it forward, there's nobody running to it. Yeah, I do. I do like his. Uh, I, I like his box arrival um, when he plays Same. the eight. Uh, probably more more than uh, than Voltaire's. Um, and so, um, you know, if we're looking if we're looking to score goals, and we are, I think that maybe he's better in a more advanced role but but who knows i mean 
But at this I would point, say that my, my point was the half hour we got to see Voltaire as the right side at eight when Radia was on the field. Voltaire mm-hmm. was very active in his counter pressing and was mm-hmm. very and had created like three turnovers in the opponent's yeah. half and had gotten yeah. the team r- rotating forward really quickly after that. And that is he he's much calmer on the ball in those circumstances mm-hmm. than Felipe is. Felipe is good as a late arriver, but if he if he re, if he gets the ball off a counter press, sometimes it's a little chaotic. Whereas yeah. Voltaire seems to have real clean ideas of what he wants to do in that circumstance. Yeah. Well, and you know the the, the thing is, is if you can see. <laughs> Just, just even with the little amount that we have seen Liebold and Radia, like you can see, you can see why they sign him. You can see why they're excited about him. You can see why, uh, you know, people keep saying, "Be patient, be patient," and and uh, when we get everybody back from injury, the team's going to be rocking. Because you can see that that's that possibility is there. But um, man, it's just uh, it's hard at this point uh, to be patient, and we just need to uh, figure out a way to win a game. That's that's really all. It's just a win. It doesn't well, matter how it happens. The the Vermies out crowd's gonna start getting louder because uh, the current just scored again. CC Kaiser yeah, got him. Yeah, they I just smashed smashed yeah. him on a counter attack, and apparently Dabinia hit like a nice flick up the line to release it. So, um, yeah, I mean that's what yeah. that's what the current were so good at last year. They were lethal countering attack a counter attacking team, like absolutely yep. lethal. And so they were they and, get, and they were fun. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, you can have fun and and uh, and and play that kind of uh, that style of, of football. So I'm all about it. I am too. Hopefully, we'll see something fun from this club on Saturday. I don't have a whole I mean, lot we're, of. We're probably going to have to. I mean, you, you have to assume that that uh, that the refs are going to be able to possess the ball at least a little bit, and and you know that we'll have to really keep a close eye on Carlos Hill and. Uh, and keep him bottled in, and that was the other reason I wanted Felipe playing the six is that he's a lot more mobile. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, he, is he is he really more mobile than Voltaire? I mean, Voltaire that's a good point. I don't know. I don't, yeah, <laughs> it's weird. I just it's weird how different Voltaire looks in that position than he does at the eight. He just doesn't yeah. look as active to me. Yeah, and I just have no faith that he is going to successfully challenge a ball off somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Oh, I know. It, it, I know, man. This this. He's so anonymous in that role, yeah. and that's the that's the problem. Is is that? I think I said this a couple weeks ago. I would prefer that we had a six that was aggressive. Yep. And you know, if you make a mistake, fuck it. You made a mistake, but you went for the yeah. ball and you tried to do something with it. Yeah. Voltaire is so like milk toast at that role. Mm-hmm. it's just like he's there and I know he's running around a lot and I know yeah. he intercepts the ball. Like he uses his body to intercept the ball and he shades people off when he does. And I, I see the technique there. Yeah. But there's, there's no, I never feel like he is controlling the midfield. Does that yeah. make sense? Uh huh. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there are players that would, would exhibit more level of control of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, frankly, Radia did look like that in the limited time. Well, that he yeah, had to of play. course. <laughs> it was very clear why we signed it that was, guy in that half hour. Clear. And then he then yeah. he pulled up with a hamstring and I'm like, OK, yeah. well, here we go again. 
I, I know, but that, we we've belabored this point too much about yes, how how integral this this role is. I'm yeah. saying that I think Voltaire is more valuable higher up the field than the difference in his quality at that role versus the other players we have that can play it, other than Radia. That's my personal opinion. That's I guess my fourth thing that I would change right away. Just put Voltaire higher up the field. Just if you're gonna play the four three three. Let him play his natural position and figure out the other role. Because it's not like he's doing anything earth-shattering. And with Rosero on the field, I don't think you need him for cover as much. Yeah. We'll see. As long as Ben Sweat doesn't score, we're good. <laughs> I doubt Ben Sweat is going to play in this game. <laughs> Me this too. Is Dewan Jones, know. their left back. I don't think, I don't yeah. think he's supplanting Dewan Jones. <laughs> Unless something has happened recently to the to, to Jones, I I I don't even see how um, Sweat could even be like fourth on their. I don't even know why they signed him because I don't see how he can be even like fourth in their depth chart as far as as far as available left backs. But at least they got Sporting clear of his salary cap charge. Yay! Thank you. All right. All right. Have we done it? Have we done what? Fix the club? Yeah. Uh. No, because okay. we're gonna see the ex- <laughs> we're gonna see the exact same lineup except Vol- except uh, Fontas in for Castellanos. So the umbrella of despair. Mm-hmm. A little yeah. bit more. It'll just it'll just get better eventually, Cody. Just keep doing it. Eventually, it'll yeah. get better. Yeah, That's... do it. <laughs> we'll reg- we'll regress to the mean in a positive way because play harder, we'll... play harder and faster. That's the yeah. that's the key. All right. Well. That's a rather ominous note in which to close the podcast, but we've got nothing else to tell you guys. So hopefully things things uh, look a little bit better this weekend. If not, maybe Tuesday night we can get something fun out of this team against <laughs> Tulsa. And on that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to you all next week. All right. Bye.